The True Crime Society podcast contains adult themes and violence and is not intended for all audiences. Listener discretion is advised. Welcome to another episode of the True Crime Society podcast with Stephanie and Olivia. It's August 11th. Um, I'm back from vacation, as you guys can hear. (laughs) Um, I'm sure you're all wondering how it was. It was really fun. I had a great time. Really sad to be back at real life. Um, Nothing makes you realize how much you hate um, being a part of the rat race, like going on vacation. (laughs) I know the post holiday come down, it's a real thing. <laughs> this is the only year though, like where I didn't cry after vacation for the past <laughs> couple of years. Like as much as I don't like working in general, like I don't mind my job at the moment, but there's years in the past where like I really hated my job. So once vacation was over and I got back home, I would literally just start crying and Mike would be like, What's wrong with you? And I'm like, I just don't want to go back to work. <laughs> <laughs> it's the one downside, isn't it? Having to go back to real life. Yeah, and it's like right when you finally really start to like relax, then you're like, oh my god, it's halfway over. <laughs> I know, I know that's yeah, I yeah, I get it, I totally get it. <laughs> yeah, it just like it goes by. It seems like it goes by slow. Like when you first get there, you're like ah, I still have so many days left, and then all of a sudden you're like, oh my god, I only have two days left. <laughs> and then the last day is always spent like packing up, getting ready. Yeah. to go. I feel like that shouldn't even count as a vacation day. Well, and for me, well, because I, I went to North Carolina from New York, like we drive, so you waste like half of two days driving because it's like a 10 hour drive at least on like a good day which luckily we made good time so I didn't have there's been times where it would take us like 12 hours 13 hours to get down there to get back not too much Um, wasted time no and I did get tan that was like my main (laughs) goal because I want to be tanner for my sister's wedding but all my coworkers were like, you're not very tan. I'm like, I think you forgot how pale I am. <laughs> it's definitely an improvement. <laughs> like I have I have tan lines where like I got like pretty dark by comparison, but I'm not going to like whip them out to my coworkers. <laughs> <laughs> well, that's good. And you had good weather. Oh, my God. Yes. It didn't rain. It literally as soon as we got to like the little town where we stay, um, it started downpouring and like thundering and lightning. And I was like, well. Right when you're here, it starts pouring, but stopped, and then it didn't rain again or anything, like, the whole trip. How good is great. that? I was so worried. Remember, I was sending you the weather yeah. for, like, days. I think we spoke about in the last episode, too, that you were we worried did. it was going to rain. Yeah. So that was very yeah. lucky. Yeah. Because last time I went, it rained, like, the whole time. Mm. Sometimes it's nice when it rains. Probably not the whole time, but just to have a day, you know, where you literally don't really have to do anything. You just stay inside, chill out. I wouldn't. It's quite nice. I wouldn't have minded like one good like thunderstorm or something because where I live for some reason, I don't know if it's because I live on one side of where I live is the Hudson River and then on the other side where I live is like some little mountains and I feel like for some reason we never get thunderstorms because of that because it like breaks up somehow because of the mountains or the water. I don't know, but we never get good storms here so I wouldn't have minded having a good storm there. Well, I'm glad you had a good time. Thanks. I'm glad that you're glad that I had a good time. <laughs> but now I'm back in New York. Back and refreshed. We're, we're in a friggin' drought now. Uh, the grass is all dead. And now on the news, they're like, don't flush your toilets unnecessarily and don't wash your cars. I'm like, what kind of life is this? Yeah, that's our, that's when we had the drought a few years ago. And now we just have never ending rain. <laughs> so, yeah, I've been there, done that. Yeah. Uh, so what, what have you been up to? 
Nothing. I've actually been pretty quiet the last few weeks. I've just been hanging around home. Yeah, How was um, your white party outfit? Did it make? Oh, it, it was good. It was good. It made it through. I couldn't believe it. And I actually like I stayed pretty pretty clean the whole entire <laughs> time. I think I posted a meme on my Instagram today, and it was something like me when I wear a white shirt. The shirt I want to taste it. <laughs> like when yeah. you go to Mexican or whatever. So yeah, no, it was good. It was great. We had a great day. Beautiful weather. Like not a cloud. Well, there was a cloud, but you know, very sunny. One cloud. Uh, I was going to say because it was lovely, and then it got cloudy. So I'd be lying if I said that. But mm. yeah, it was beautiful. We had a great day. Very very good fun. Well, I'm glad that we we both had such a great time. So. <laughs> Been a good few weeks. <laughs> I was editing the episode that just came out today in real time. Um, so our last episode and I totally forgot until I heard myself talking about it in the episode that I have to do like a maid of honor speech at my sister's wedding which is next Saturday so when this episode comes out it'll be in like two days still haven't started that I thought about it in my head and now I'm like I read things people were like oh I started planning mine like two months out I'm like you had to plan two months out for a three-minute speech oh my gosh you'll be right just do it this weekend you'll be fine start this weekend you have got plenty of time yeah, I feel like I could do it in like two days. I mean, I was a writing major in college, so <laughs> <laughs> you'll be fine. Yeah, until I panic and I'm like, mm. <laughs> like I don't know anything about my sister. No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> so, uh, fingers crossed for me. Yeah, get on with it. You'll be good. All right. Well, I guess that's it for our personal lives. Keep- One other kind of kind of personal kind of not is mm. that we um hit 1 million downloads oh, today yeah. on on our new platform. So we moved over in January, so it's only been eight months, which is mind-blowing to me, probably to you too, I guess. But, yeah, yeah a million all-time listens in eight months. We've had – obviously, we've been going longer than eight months, but since we have the metrics on this new platform, we've reached a million on there, which is so amazing and mind-blowing and oh, just so good. I know. It's so like I feel like I can't really um, – I don't know the right word. Well, I, can't, I, like, I just – I can't even like picture how much like a million really is. I'm like, oh, it's like a million. That's like nothing on the internet. But I'm like, no, it's like literally like a million downloads, like a million <laughs> listens. It is crazy. It, yeah, it's hard to fathom. Like you're like, oh yeah, it seems like a lot, but it really, it really actually is a lot. Like because I'm always just like, even when people message me and they're just like, oh my god, I love the podcast. Like I think you're so funny and great. And I'm like me, <laughs> little you, old me. I feel like we've got imposter syndrome. I'm like. Really? I do. <laughs> Are you really talking about us? I'm like, did you mean to send this to someone else? <laughs> did you mean to send this to Morbid or some other podcast? <laughs> but yeah, no, so lovely. And we had so many nice messages about it. So thank you very, very, very much. Yeah, thank you. It's greatly appreciated. I was thinking I might treat myself and celebrate by buying a pair of headphones that the dog hasn't eaten. <laughs> Uh, yeah. Splash out. You literally <laughs> had the same shitty headphones since we started, I feel like. <laughs> I know. I need to get on it. I will do that this week. You have my permission. <laughs> All right. But we do have two little updates. I know usually we talk about like updates at the end, but these are just two small ones. So we'll just talk about them now quickly. Um, one is about the last episode, the the Opelika Jane Doe that we talked about last episode. She was the one that had the eye injury, but they had pictures of her from um, what was referred to as like a school and that like a teacher called in, recognized her, and they were able to dig up some photos of this girl. And we were wondering how did the school have no records of this girl being there? So a few people actually messaged us and let us know a little bit more about this alleged school. 
which actually isn't really a school. So I'm just going to read one of the messages because she explained it pretty well. She said, Hey, y'all, I'm listening to the Jane John Doe podcast. I'm from Mississippi. And in the South, we have programs in churches called Vacation Bible School. They're programs for children that last usually one week in the summer where parents from the community drop their children off for a few hours, take part in fun activities and lessons about God. Registration slash sign up for these programs are usually kept pretty casual as to encourage attendance from families that may be hesitant to fully commit to attending church. The programs are open to the whole community, so it's possible the baby Jane Doe from Alabama was attending one of those programs where there wouldn't be much of a record of each child and she would have only attended briefly. So that could be why no one remembers her or her name. We did get also get one other message about that case, um, and I won't go into too much detail because I don't think it's been well, it hasn't been proven or confirmed yet, but someone on Facebook said that their child has an um, like some type of genetic disorder which caused their eye to look very similar and they believed that there must be some um, kind of genetic link between their child and the Jane Doe. So apparently that's been looked into by DNA and maybe it wasn't a case of abuse. Maybe this was some type of genetic thing. I don't know. I, you know, I just wanted to bring it up because we did get the message about it. Um, mm. That could be an interesting turn of events if that turns out to be the case. But in saying that, that DNA process, the messages started two years ago. So I feel like maybe if – I know DNA takes a long time, but surely if there was some link that would have happened by now is my thinking. Yeah. And someone also said um, that even though the teachers are for just teachers, they're really just like volunteers. Yeah. It still blows – like, I don't know, maybe I'm just – I don't know. I can't believe that, that people are just allowed to drop kids off, you know, with no records, nothing. Like from I was even I said to you before, like for insurance purposes, you know, but I don't know. I guess these things happen everywhere and we're just not aware of it. Yeah, I don't know if it's as much a thing here, obviously, because I don't have any kids. Or, But I just feel like, I don't know, it might be more of like a Southern thing. Because everyone that messaged us was like th- about it, that new stuff about it was from the South. So yeah, maybe it's just like a regional thing. Might just be how it's done there. Yeah, so we just wanted to clarify that a little bit. And I guess um, I said, it's another thing I said wrong, because I said Oplika Jane Doe. <laughs> and I guess it's Oplika. Pilica, Opilica Jado. Okay. So sorry. Um, and the second update that's literally just happened, I think, yesterday, is a, it's actually a pretty big update. It's about the murder of Christian Toby Obumsele by his, or allegedly, by his girlfriend, Courtney Taylor Clenny. She's an influencer. She's got over 2 million followers on Instagram. She's got OnlyFans, all that type of stuff. So we first did the episode, I think, in April this year. Um, he was murdered very early in April. She stabbed him, allegedly, during a self-defense you know, incident where they were fighting and she stabbed him once, I believe, and he passed away. So at the time there was no charges, you you know, went through the whole episode. She was out at a bar, you know, like there was a lot of kind of shady things going on at the time. But just earlier this week, she was arrested in Hawaii in a rehab facility and she was charged with second degree murder with a deadly weapon. So there's been a lot of different things that have come out. I'll update the blog and we've been posting a lot of it on our Instagram stories, but police released a video of them fighting in an elevator one month before he died. And she obviously, you know, this is 40 seconds of this story, but in this video, she is very aggressive towards him. I posted um, the video up on our Instagram today and a lot of the comments are like, wow, you know, it was maybe a self, like people maybe thought it was self-defense before, but based on how aggressive she is in this video, um, I think it might have changed a lot of people's minds about what happened. She's Um, literally like a rabid dog. Like she just 
nonstop going at him. And, like, there's a few times where he pushes her, too, but he's, like, pushing her off of him. At one point, he, like, kind of puts her in, like, a headlock to headlock, her to, yeah. like, stop because she's just nonstop, like, hitting him. And it's also the longest elevator ride ever. <laughs> <laughs> uh, and, like, I feel like, he, you know, just to be fair, he is quite um, – He's not aggressive, but he's quite forceful in the video too. Like, but in saying that, in forceful, in pushing her away, he's not the one instigating the fight. It seems like obviously we don't know what happened before or after, so it's just this little snippet. But it does show that they were in some type of toxic relationship, you know, which was never really in doubt, I guess. So yeah. one other kind of interesting thing, just quickly on that case, because we'll probably end up doing a proper full update episode once more comes out. But police have released kind of a nine one one, sorry, a, a timeline of the events of that day. So I'll just read it out quickly. So at four o one, Courtney called Christian, then she went live on Instagram, which is on our blog. You can see the Instagram live. At four thirty three, she called him again. He went into the apartment at four thirty three. At 4.43, so just 10 minutes after that, Courtney called her mother and they stayed on the phone for just over six minutes. At 4.49, she made a second call to her mother and they spoke until 4.56, which is a little over seven minutes. And then interestingly, at 4.57, so one minute after she got off the phone to her mother, she called 911 and police arrived in the unit at 5.04 p.m. So kind of reading between the lines of that timeline, it seems like in the 10 minutes, she probably stabbed him uh, in the first 10 minutes after he walked into the apartment and then called her mother before she called 911. Yeah, probably called her mom like freaking out. Yeah, there was a probably almost 15-minute period in between the probable stabbing and be- between when she called 911. And I, the cops got there pretty fast. They did. And they've also said that security staff in the building have documented many instances of arguments between the two and that tenants as far as two floors above them had complained about their fighting. So there is some information too that's come out about the 911 call. Um, In it, apparently, Toby can be heard saying that he's dying and that he's losing feeling in his arm and Courtney can be heard saying, I'm so sorry. When police arrived, she was cradling his body and he later died of his injuries at the hospital. So... Um, her story is that he grabbed her by the throat and shoved her against the wall. She ran to the kitchen, grabbed a knife and threw it at him from 10 feet away. But police have said that his injury was much more consistent with a downward strike as in There's natural. no way she threw a knife from 10 feet away and it directly went into his arm and severed his artery. And his the stab wound was three inches deep. So I feel like surely from 10 feet away you couldn't get a, th- I don't know, maybe you could, but I you probably so. couldn't get a three inch deep wound from 10 feet away. I know it's totally different, but like, have you ever seen people do axe throwing? It doesn't seem that easy to get it to like stick. <laughs> and like, I'm sure, yeah, yeah, I agree. I, I suspect she did stab him maybe during an argument, but anyway. We'll hopefully find out some more. So this episode, we're going to be talking about the murder of Jared Bridegan. You've probably seen his post about him if you follow us on Instagram, True Crime Society. Um, <laughs> his wife has done a great job of kind of getting his story out there on social media. I think, I don't know if we posted about it before, but she definitely, she made an Instagram account called Justice for Jared B. And she would kind of like send us stories and I would post them, what well, we would post them. So we've been posting it for a while and I think it's starting to kind of get more attention in the mainstream media. 
But if you've been following us, you've probably definitely seen us post about it. When I um, started doing the research, I was a bit worried because I thought, oh, maybe there's not going to be enough for a whole episode on this case. It's hard to know until you start looking into things. But my goodness, this is a crazy case. There are so many pieces to the puzzle. Feels like it should be obvious, but maybe it isn't. It's just yeah, a crazy, crazy case. February 16th, police say he was driving in his car with his two-year-old when he came upon a tire in the road. Moments later, he was shot and killed. So many memories left behind. One, two, two three, go! Him playing hide-and-go-seek with his children, playful moments and family photos. And now his case is getting national attention. His widow is working hard to get the word out. I want people to know that the murderer's out there. The murderer's probably watching this and they're living their life and that's not okay. So just as background, Jared Bradigan, he was gunned down and murdered on February 16th, 2022 in Jacksonville Beach, Florida. He just dropped off his 10-year-old twins to his ex-wife, Shana Gardner Fernandez, and he was driving home. He had his two-year-old daughter, Bexley, in the vehicle with him. Bexley was, is his daughter with his current wife so that's why the other two kids were dropped off and she wasn't and she actually ended up witnessing the murder to an extent I don't know how much she could see but um she was definitely at the scene yeah yeah very scary so he had two children with his current wife Kirsten um there was Bexley the one that we were just speaking about and they had another daughter named London who was seven seven months old at the time this happened so before we get into the events of that night, we'll backtrack a little and give you guys some background information into Jared's life leading up to this. So we think that he grew up in Florida from what we've been able to find online. A woman named Mallory Bowden met Jared through Church of Jesus Christ of Latter-day Saints, and Mallory has described Jared as her first love. She's relevant because it kind of seems like they stayed in touch over the years as friends. She said in an interview, he wasn't like other guys I knew in high school. He was very respectful. He was a true gentleman. Jared graduated from the Douglas Anderson School of the Arts in 2007, and he went to college in Utah. Um, it seems like he must have returned to Florida by 2009, because that is apparently when he met his first wife, Shana Gardner. Media reports say that he was visiting a friend in Florida from Utah when they met. Um, it seems like they were both quite young when they met. Jared would have been around 20 and Shana was around 22. Shana is the daughter of Sterling and Shelley Gardner, who are the co-founders of Stampin' Up, an arts and crafts company. Um, you could see more of their stuff at stampinup.com if you're interested. <laughs> if you're into stamps. <laughs> if you're into stamps and crafts. This info is from Fox News about the family and their wealth it says the family company headquartered in salt lake city has an estimated annual revenue of over a hundred million dollars a year according to ink fact at first jared wasn't interested but shana quote whined and dined him flaunting her charmed life a friend said um the friend said it was like she was saying look at what my lifestyle is i can fly you all over my parents pay for everything the couple got married in april 2010 at a temple in salt lake city utah they first settled in Utah, where they purchased an $800,000 home and both drove Mercedes. Um, according to media reports, neither of them worked at this time. It's been said that Shana's parents gave them an allowance of $8,500 per month so that they could live off of that and that they also had access to their credit cards. Um, they also allegedly gave Jared $100,000 to start a business at the time. So it seems like they were living the life, just getting 
paid to do nothing really it seems <laughs> a very nice allowance I'd like that <laughs> yeah <laughs> so the couple had the twins that we mentioned earlier their names are Abigail and Liam after the birth of the babies they decided to move to Connecticut as a family Liam had been diagnosed with a heart condition called pulmonary hypertension, which meant that he had to live at sea level due to oxygen. Jared's brother lived in Connecticut at the time, and they were close to Liam's doctor in New York, so it seemed like a good idea for them to move there. But the move highlighted some issues in their marriage. A friend said in an interview, that's when the cracks really started to show. So Shana stopped going to church and started zealously working out and said that she became frustrated with Jared, who had gained weight and was trying to get his business off the ground. Jared persuaded Shana to move to Florida for a fresh start. He was studying online for a master's degree at Savannah College of Art and Design. They bought another $800,000 house near Jacksonville. But the fresh start failed, and the couple ended up drifting even further apart. Jared remained a devout LDS member while Shana moved further away from the religion. She joined a CrossFit gym, and Jared bought her some personal training sessions as gifts, but she allegedly began an affair with the personal trainer. Jared found some emails between the two. He confronted her, and she told him that she didn't love him anymore. Sad tale. Hmm. So a source close to Jared said, Jared was like, I don't recognize this person. I married a totally different person. Shayna filed for divorce in February 2015 after several years of marriage, but she's denied ever having an affair and said that the reason for the divorce was just that they didn't love each other anymore. So Jared sent an email to Mallory, who's the woman we mentioned earlier, his first love that I mentioned seems they remained friends. He sent an email to her and it said, quote, in the past three months, Shayna has become really distant and got emotionally attached to her personal trainer at the gym and is now divorcing me, but has her agency. So I just need to move on and find someone to be my best friend again, you know. So the divorce ends up getting pretty messy. The court file has over 300 entries in documents. Shayna accused Jared of quote, disturbing and abusive behavior, including regularly interrogating and recording the children after actively coaching them on what to say and threatening to use their recorded statements against her. Um, so that's according to Shana. At the time, Jared had also alleged that Shana locked him out of the master bedroom and treated him in, quote, in a disparaging manner in front of the children. And he also alleged that Shayna installed surveillance devices in the home. Um, there is a photo available of a hidden baby monitor in a bedroom. And he also said that she installed a tracking device on his vehicle. So it just seems like a lot of toxicity going on back and forth. Jared sent an email to his lawyer that said, quote, this is enough. I should have every damn right on my own property to not constantly be under recording or monitoring by Shayna. And that was an email from May 17, 2015. He said, I want the flipping gates of hell released on her for this. So Shayna has said of their relationship, she said, our relationship was pretty complicated and remained pretty complicated. During the divorce, Shayna demanded exclusive occupancy of the home primary custody and accused Jared of threatening to withdraw cash from their children's trust funds for his own use. Jared accused Shayna of, quote, totally lying on her financials, claiming she had no income when she had allegedly earned thousands of dollars doing work under the table for her mom's business. Kind of just seems like a lot of like back and forth. Who knows what's even true? Who knows who's lying? Just a lot of he said, she said. 
What most upset Jared, though, was that Shayna apparently canceled Liam's 2015 heart surgery after they waited months for the procedure, which seems pretty drastic. Yeah, definitely. Another message that Jared sent to Mallory said, Never get divorced because it's literally the hardest thing I'll ever do. It's emotionally and physically the worst thing in the world to hear your eternal companion just be like, Yeah, I'm out. See you later. A shared parenting agreement was handed down by the court in July 2015, but the couple would be in and out of court for a further six years after that. One interesting event is that at some point in 2015, Shana visited a tattoo parlor in Jacksonville, Florida. She apparently went there a few times and got her clitoris pierced there once. She made a remark to an employee at one point and asked if he knew anyone who could, quote, shut him up in reference to Jared. Shayna has since addressed this and said people say such things during bitter divorces, but denied having any intent to harm him. So she doesn't even really deny saying it. Yeah. I, do you know what? And I'm not, I absolutely not sticking up for her because I think she's very shady, but like I, you know, people say dumb things like that when they're angry and, you know, it's by itself, it's not an admission of guilt, but it's interesting when you combine it with everything else that's happened. Yeah. But I do want people to understand you know, where I'm coming from. Almost five months after Jared Bridegan was murdered in the street in front of his two-year-old daughter, we spoke with his ex-wife, who has not commented publicly so far. Our first question, why have you stayed silent? I was asked to not talk to the media or give a public statement, but with the level of speculation, I felt that now it was necessary to to speak out. Shanna Gardner revealed she was asked by Jared Breidigan's widow, Kirsten, not to speak publicly, but we wanted to know how the relationship could have gotten to that point. I'm sure they you would say that we've had happy moments. I mean, we share the two most beautiful children in the world. In 2015, Jared and Shanna divorced. Their court records, which we obtained from the St. Johns County court system, revealed a long, complicated process lasting over five years. Anytime divorce comes into any situation, it's messy. It just is. I will say that I think that we both love our kids. Jared and Shanna both wanted full custody. The court file details allegations of spying, deceit, and more. In the end, Shanna and Jared reached an agreement. They shared custody, and whenever the children were at one parent's house, the other would come over Wednesday and have a date night. That's exactly what Jared and his twins did the night he was killed. It was actually one of the, one of the things, I'm sorry. Um, I remember my son tucking him in and him saying that it was a good date night. At the end of 2015, Nate Sanders hired Jared as a user experience designer for the software company Canopy in Utah. Nate later spoke to the Daily Beast and said that Jared was, quote, an incredibly positive and incredibly kind co-worker driven by love for his kids. He also said his focus was on his children. He was worried about Liam. He was worried about Abby. And everything he ever talked about revolved around those two. So Jared tried to move on and he started using dating apps. And it was on an app that he met Kirsten, who would become his wife. Um, she was living in Charlotte, North Carolina at the time, and she worked for Microsoft. Nate, his former employer, said... He had been doing a lot of dating on Bumble and Tinder and things like that and just felt like he hadn't found somebody that he could really connect with. He at one point told me, yeah, I think she's really special. I think it could go somewhere. So Jared made the six-hour drive to North Carolina for their first date. A few months later, Kirsten requested that her Microsoft job be fully remote and she moved to Florida to be with Jared and the couple got married in October 2017. 
Gershon said, we waited just over a year before having kids, noting that during that time, she and her husband had a nice balance of newlywed time and family time with Jared's two kids from his previous marriage. Their daughter, Bexley, was born in August 2019, and their second child, London, was born in August 2021. Kirsten has described Jared as a creative dad, and she said she loved watching all the random stuff he would come up with for the twins. Um, she said, when it would be raining, we would make little toothpick boats and float them down, you know, the street into the gutter. Good girl, Bex. These videos give us a glimpse of who Jared Bridegan was. I love my dad because he's the best. Someone who loved his family, humble and humorous. A successful software engineer, but a hands-on father of four. Nine-year-old twins Liam and Abby from a previous marriage. Two-year-old Bexley and a newborn. Six-month-old London. The minute you met him, you just fell in love with who he was. He honestly was the best dad. Um, whenever I needed a break, he scooped up all the kids, took them out, did something, or took them outside and, and gave me a minute to catch my breath. Kind of a little shift here, but just since we're going in chronological order, there's some more divorce drama with Shayna. Um, she remarried to she got remarried to a man named Mario Fernandez. It seems like in 2018. Um, this info comes from court documents at the time. Um, the quote from it is the father. They call them father and mother. So father's obviously Jared, mother's Shayna. The father is currently insisting that the mother's new husband may not exercise overnight time sharing with the minor children when the mother is away. He is additionally creating problems with the mother's new husband being involved on a more general basis with the minor children. However, he insists that his own new wife should be fully involved in the children's lives, which I guess sounds unfair, but like I kind of feel that. Yeah. There's also a rumor that Mario was involved in animal cruelty. He wasn't ever charged with it, which is important to know. An anonymous source who spoke to Daily Mail explained that Mario Fernandez was accused of shooting and killing a local cat with a BB gun. According to the report, the cat's owners took it to the vet where the BB gun pellets were found in its leg and abdomen. The source said that people in the neighborhood were scared of Mario. They said Mario was always having run-ins with people who fed the local strays. He was always threatening to kill them, as in the cats. And he had a BB gun with a scope that he said he would use on them. The Jacksonville Beach Police Department officer who wrote the report spoke with Mario at length and noted, quote, he stated that he was upset because there were people feeding stray cats. He said he had cats in his backyard and it was making his dog bark in the middle of the night. Mario also said he tried putting pepper on the fence as well as shooting the cats with a BB gun. When the officer told him that that would be considered animal cruelty, Mario stated, if it didn't get better soon, he would take more extreme actions. The police officer noted that he seemed very aggravated during the conversation. It's more extreme than killing the cats. Yeah. Psycho. The last court filing in the divorce was made four months before Jared was murdered. Shana claimed that Jared had been, quote, regularly interrogating the minor children and recording their statements. She said it also appears that the father is actively coaching the children what to say and is now threatening to use these coached recorded statements against the mother. These actions are, she insisted, clearly abusive, both emotionally and mentally, and an outrageous violation of shared parental responsibility as well as basic decency. Shayna also accused Jared of withholding medical equipment and oxygen machine needed by her son for travel above certain altitudes, unless she apologized for a host of transgressions. Um, so she's basically saying she couldn't have it unless 
she apologized, according to him. And probably admitted to certain things that she'd apparently done as well, I'd assume. Yeah. Um, The court document states, quote, the father clearly considers his vindictiveness towards the mother far more important than protecting his son's life. She claims that he put in writing, quote, that he is more concerned with humiliating the mother than he is in making sure his own children, his own child does not die and described this as a shocking turn of events. There's a little bit more info about the medical equipment. Shana accused Jared of not letting her borrow a small breathing machine for their son, which was used when at high altitudes. She had possession of a larger machine, but that one was less convenient for traveling. So the court ruled that Jared would pay Shana $571 and retain exclusive use of the smaller machine. So it seems petty, but I guess it was so she could buy her own. It just feels, yeah, I don't know. It's I feel like this is an interesting part of the case because it seems like this is one of the only instances where Jared was possibly a little bit petty. You know, obviously I feel like it was a very toxic relationship between the two, but it feels like this is a very weird thing and an awful thing to find about. Surely they should have been sharing the machines. Do you know what I mean? Like it's they just should have weird... just each had their own. Maybe yeah. maybe he didn't trust her with it. And I guess too when you think about it, like I'm going off on a tangent, but her family are loaded. She has a bunch of money. She could yeah. buy a five hundred and seventy one dollar <laughs> machine if she really that's needed true. to. And maybe he couldn't and that's why he's like, I'm not giving it to you because I know I'm not going to get it back. Mm. Yeah, true. So the custody arrangement that Jared and Shana had meant that Jared and Kirsten would have the twins every second week. On the off week, they would see the twins on the Wednesday for a date night. Kirsten has said it usually consisted of a dinner and a quick activity like dinner or dessert, and then the parent would drop the kids back off at the other parent's house. So we're now at the night of Jared's murder. He was returning the twins to Shana. Kirsten had stayed home with their baby London on this night and Jared had taken the other child Bexley as well as the twins out for ice cream or dinner. We actually got a confirmed timeline of events of the night from Jared's wife, Kirsten. So I've included her timeline and kind of um, integrated it with other media, media articles and media information that we've read. So this next part of the timeline is directly copied from what Kirsten sent us. So she said at 5.30 p.m., my parents, the girls and I go for a walk. Jared is still at home working. At 5.48 p.m., Jared comes outside to get Bexley, which is when he was taking her to go and see Liam and Abby. He brings her inside and changes her diaper. At 5.51 p.m., the rest of us, who is Kirsten, her parents, and the youngest daughter, come inside as well. So she's got it down to the minute for these, you know, the last hours of his life. Mm -hmm. At 5.53 p.m., Jared and Bexley leave the house to go and pick up Liam and Abby. At 6.47 p.m., so just about an hour later, it says, I text Jared asking how date night is going. He said he just got off a work call. He had to join well during the date night and that Abby wanted to text me from his phone. She and I text back and forth and she tells me they are eating dinner at a place called the Bearded Pig. Then 7.47 p.m., so an hour later, it says, I briefly speak to Jared on the phone after he dropped Liam and Abby off at their mum's house. And then she lists Shana's address and it says he's heading home. I have been on the phone with my oldest brother, Eric, when Jared called and I merged the two calls together. We spoke for just a couple of minutes. We hung up likely just a minute or two before he was shot. I actually talked to him on the phone right after he dropped his twins off. Um, and he just told me that they had had a good day. A home security camera picked up gunshots that rang out around the same time that Brightigan was murdered. So an hour later after that, 8.46 p.m., she said, I leave the house to drive the usual route to Shana's house because Jared is late and isn't answering my text or calls. 
During the drive, I keep calling his phone and it was eventually answered by a police officer and she drove then straight to the Jacksonville Beach Police Station. So we're just getting out of uh, Kirsten's, Kirsten's timeline for a minute. So what happened is apparently that Jared was driving in a residential neighborhood and he came across a tire laying in the middle of the road. There's actually photos of this tire, which I've put on the blog. It's just basically like a tire that's come off a vehicle and is literally laying in the middle of the road. He put the emergency lights on in his Volkswagen Atlas and he got out to move the tire and that's when he was brutally gunned down. He collapsed and died next to his vehicle. You can hear the gunshots in a neighbor's surveillance. Detectives tell us someone ambushed him at close range, killing him near the driver's door, his flashers on, his two-year-old daughter Bexley in the back seat. She wasn't hurt. We started driving down the route we usually take out to the beach. And I kept calling his phone. Um, and then one of the policemen answered it. And that's what I knew, like. My gut feeling was right and something was really wrong. I asked if my husband was okay. And I was just, was just told to drive to the police station. And I asked it again, the same thing, just come to the police station. But that my daughter was okay. So as we mentioned, Bexley was with him and she was in the car. She was thankfully uninjured in the attack. Passerby came by apparently three minutes after Jared was shot um, and Bexley was still strapped into her car seat. So the passerby called police. When police arrived, the tyre was still laying next to the vehicle, so he hadn't even had a chance to move the tyre. He had literally stepped out of the car and it seems like he was shot stri- straight away. I'm curious about the whole tyre thing because if there was a tyre in the road, I wouldn't have gotten out to move it. I would have just driven around it. Yeah, I don't know. It was a super narrow road. I still probably... Because, I mean, you always hear about how they could people could set up traps like this to do things like this. I feel like if I was just in a quiet residential neighbourhood, my first thought at night when there's probably not anyone else around, my first thought would be just to stop and move it. But then... Really? Yeah, well, I think so. Maybe like, I'm if an I was, asshole because I'd be like, <laughs> I'm not getting out. And it sounds like... This is me just, you know, thinking out loud now, but it sounds like he was probably familiar with this route like he drove the route to drop the kids off probably I'm assuming every Wednesday or every time you drop them there so maybe he was familiar with the neighborhood it's and you know it sounds like it this was obviously set up so maybe someone whoever did it knew that he would be driving that way which kind of um, supports that theory so he just said I'll just get out and move it whereas if it was busy and the road was busy I wouldn't stop I would keep driving around it but that's just me I'm like stay suspicious I I absolutely will I will not be stopping after this story though (laughs) this is pre-story so as per her timeline Kirsten started to worry at about 8 30 she'd expected Jared to be home by 8 15 and Jared had told her during their last conversation that he wasn't far away so this info about those movements is from the Daily Beast there's actually a really great article by the Daily Beast which I've put on the blog too so check that out Um, It says, Kirsten said, I gave it a few more minutes and then I started looking down the road just to see if there were headlights coming down the road. Worried, she began calling and texting her husband but was met with silence. 
So she got in her car and began looking for her husband while still dialing his cell phone. Suddenly someone picked up and it wasn't Jared. She said, I kept calling and calling and that's when a police officer answered the phone. The only thing they did answer was that Bexley was okay. So she rushed rushed to the police station and she said she had to wait a few minutes before she was greeted at the door by a female officer who took her to a break room. Bexley was in there, sitting there wrapped in a blanket and had a colouring in book. Kirsten said, I ran over and I picked her up and the officer wouldn't tell me anything for what seems like forever. So she had to wait a bit longer and they finally took her into another room and told her that Jared had been killed. She said, honestly, my hearing seemed to go. I felt like I was going to throw up. I remember looking around the room for a trash can like I might throw up and I didn't see one. I think I put my head in my hands like this can't be real. She said, even though that she felt something was terribly wrong by that point, she wanted to say, it's not him, it's someone else. You've made a mistake. And she said, the rest of the night is honestly kind of a blur. I know we talked more. They asked me some questions, but it all started to blur together. I just can't even imagine the shock. Like, you know, you think your husband's on the way home. And then trying to call and call and then someone else picks up the phone. That would be so traumatizing and, and shocking. It's the police that pick up the phone. Yeah. I just, like, it's the stuff of a drama nightmare. You would never, ever actually think it would happen to you. Yeah. It just gave me chills thinking about it. Ugh. Um, so police have said there is no surveillance footage of the murder, which seems very convenient. And they've asked for the public's help in identifying a vehicle of interest, which is a dark blue Ford F-150 with tan trim. The FBI and the Bureau of Alcohol, Tobacco, Firearms and Explosives are also assisting police. They've included their labs to process forensic evidence. Sergeant Tonya Tater, who's a detective with or a sergeant with the Jacksonville Beach Police Department, said detectives are still actively working this investigation and will continue to do so until we have no further leads. Shayna has been speaking to the media a lot since Jared died. She told them of her experience about finding out that Jared had been murdered. She said that she told the twins, when she told the twins, Abby was shocked and silent and Liam sobbed. And she then told the twins they could have a yes day. So this info is from jacksonville.com. It says her son had long craved a drum set, so they went to a music store to get him a started drum pad. He and his sister explored the store, trying out guitars and other musical instruments, as a staffer told their mother how the drum pad worked. And Shana, Shana has also said that she collapsed to the floor when she was told that, about Jared's murder. She said, I was shocked. I didn't believe it. It didn't seem real. Interestingly, though, um, in the timeline that Kirsten sent us, she has a slightly different account of what happened. She asked to be there when the twins were informed of the murder, which they informed them on February 17, and Shana agreed. This is a direct quote from Kirsten's timeline. It says, inform the twins that Jared was killed. I asked his ex-wife Shana if I could be present and she agreed. My father and I went to her house to be there when the kids were informed. So it sounds maybe slightly different to what Shana said. I guess she could have just omitted some information in her article. Anyway. So on February 18, which was two days after the murder, this is another piece from Kirsten's timeline. She said, I was told by law enforcement that someone had been talking to the media. I sent texts to both sides of my family as well as Shana's family stating I didn't want it public at this time, to which Shana responded, I agree 100%. This is more of Kirsten's timeline of the of the days after the murder. So on February 23rd, Kirsten said, I sent a text to Shana asking if I could pick up the kids for the dad's funeral and bring them home after. I didn't receive a response until the next day. So on February 24th, she said Shana responded, stating she wouldn't let them attend unless she could attend with them. February 25th, Shana said, because I won't allow her to attend, they will hold their own memorial. And she also asked me to return Abby's library's book. 
topics. So these emails between Shana and Kirsten are public. We've got copies on the blog. Um, the email that Shana wrote said, you can drop them off at any public library or they will return them to Miss Stacy, or you can return them to the school directly. So I feel like these are included because it does seem like a bit of an odd thing to be worrying about, you know, when your husband, ex-husband has been murdered and the funeral's yeah. coming up. It just seems like weird, you know, and nothing. They sh- shouldn't have been worried about. I know the father of our children was just brutally murdered, but by the way, these library books are going to be late. And it's interesting. Like she even lists the books. There's three Babysitter's Club books. <laughs> Yeah. So if you want to check out the emails, they're on the blog. <clears throat> also, I'm sure the library would understand. <laughs> I'm sure they could, yeah, extend the loan. Anyway, <clears throat> so just eight minutes later after the book emails and just 12 days after Jared's death, Shana requested a copy of his death certificate. She wrote an email to Kirsten and said, my attorney has requested a copy of Jared's death certificate for the family court. You can send it to me or to him or to his paralegal, whichever you prefer. Kirsten has said, I was in my car and my hands were shaking. My heart was beating so fast. I was like, who does this? This is so evil. Here I am planning a funeral and she's asking for a death certificate. So there was an article about this whole kind of messy scenario and Fox News spoke to New York City-based defense lawyer Todd Spodek, who also specializes in matrimonial law, and he said that Shanna's request was highly unusual and unnecessary, essentially. He said, I would never have my clients do anything like this, especially given the acrimonious relationship between the ex-wife and the widow. There was no urgency to the matter and the request could be misconstrued. Attorneys have process servers and paralegals who can easily obtain a death certificate. It makes no sense to reach out to the wife. Yeah, I was just her being a dick. Yeah. So after Jared was murdered, Shana and Mario hired Henry Cox III, who's a criminal defense attorney. Shana has told the media that she hired him to protect her family from publicity and to keep her children out of the media. Kirsten doesn't believe, though, that this is the reason why they hired him. She said, The claim that Mr. Cox was hired to represent Shana related to keeping images of the kids out of the media is a hard one to believe for many reasons. To this day, I have yet to be personally contacted by Shana or Mr. Cox regarding this matter, and Shana's own mother has blasted images of the kids on her very public blog. So it's either a smokescreen or Mr. Cox is inept at his job, which I doubt is the case. Shana has told the media, though, that her kids are terrified of all the media attention that's been focused on them. She said, I can't take it away. My kids are 10. They understand everything that is going on. They see this and they are scared, terrified and struggling. So Jared's funeral service was held on March 3rd. Kirsten did tell Shana and her family that they weren't invited to the service. As we mentioned earlier, Kirsten did offer to take the twins and drop them off afterwards, but Shana didn't want them to attend without her, which I think is totally understandable. I would absolutely not want my kids to be alone at their father's funeral, you know, or without their mother at their father's funeral. Yeah. So I feel like that is not an unreasonable part of this story, really. But Shana's mother, Shelley Gardner, has a blog. It's soshelly.com, S-O-S-H-E-L-L-I.com if you want to check it out. So don't forget Shelley is the wealthy stamping up lady. On this blog, she posted about Shana not being invited to the funeral. The post has since been deleted, um, which I'll get into in a minute. But the, the text says, after Shana, along with anyone who knew her, was uninvited from Jared's funeral services, Shana and the twins planned their own celebration of life. So she's since deleted that. The blog that she wrote about it is called Enormous Amounts of Love. So Shana and Shelley and their family decided to hold their own 
memorial for Jared at their home in Jacksonville Beach. Shelley had just closed on the $3.5 million house three weeks after Jared was murdered. And I believe that this is where their memorial was held. They put photos up on the blog and there were lots of comments that have since been deleted, but the comments were things like, I've never seen so many smiles at a celebration of life ceremony for someone who was brutally murdered in cold blood. Never mind all the pictures of the food decorations. (laughs) So they've all been deleted. Thankfully, some of them are still screenshotted, but Shelley did respond and she has also since deleted her responses. But one response was, as everyone knows, there are multiple sides to every story and I've chosen not to share our side for the sake of everyone, especially our grandchildren. So it's quite funny because why I was laughing a little bit before, Shelley has deleted all this about being uninvited from the blog, but she's clearly not very tech savvy because when you go there, all that text still shows up as the preview for the blog post. Mm. But when you click on it, it has the new text. So the new text reads, it was so sweet to see Liam and Abby surrounded by family and friends as they recalled happy memories of their dad. Just before sunset, everyone cut flowers from beautiful arrangements, walked over the dune together and tossed them into the ocean as a farewell. Guests received heart-shaped cookies made by Liam and Abby, with their mum's help, of course, to thank them for their support. The event was filled with good food, lots of visiting and enormous amounts of love. (laughs) So she made another post three days after the memorial post. She said, for spring break, we drove with Shana and her family to Club Med Sandpiper Bay, an all-inclusive resort in Florida. (laughs) It reminded us of a a cruise, but only on land, and we had so much fun. Liam's favourite activity was jet skiing with his mum. He also spent a lot of time playing on the beach. Abby's favourite thing was being on the trapeze nearly every single day. She did cartwheels all over the property and placed third in the limbo contest. Shana loved doing all the outdoors activities with the kids, and Mario enjoyed being out in the sun. (laughs) Good thing there's no stray cats there. (laughs) It's just so cringy. Like, you know, all she, even if she wanted to post about the lovely time they had, there was no need to talk about where they went and it's all inclusive. And, you know, it's just, you know what it totally reminds me of? What? Remember when during the pandemic, when Kim Kardashian got (laughs) roasted for her birthday party or whatever? And she was like, yeah, I flew (laughs) me and my closest 50 friends out to a private (laughs) island so we could get a glimpse of real life again. At, during this pandemic and everyone's like you are so fucking out of touch like I, I'll say it I love Kim but like this totally reminds me of that just, it's just so, so out of touch so ridiculous yeah and I get that you know everyone grieves in different ways and some people want to have more like a celebration of life like a happier thing than a funeral but in this situation it just seems weird how they're like we gave out heart-shaped cookies to the guests and it seems and even like it the, was more like a bridal shower yeah like thing. the event the event was filled with good food like that was the first highlight the event was filled with good food visiting and then love like you know it just could have been written so much more empathetically like you know the event was filled with lots of love and lots of you know being with family or something like that but to focus on the food no one you know you don't go to a memorial service for the food generally and like decorations <laughs> and <laughs> And even when she mentions like the beautiful arrangements that they took the thing, like, you know, it could have just been like, we picked a flower. It was it's just yeah. ridiculous. It's just over the it top was very ridiculous. Humble, braggy type. <laughs> Weird. So I'm going to get into now some more info from Kirsten's timeline. So she says, March the 3rd, Jared's memorial was held. She has said that Shana ignored or denied requests for Kirsten and the daughters to FaceTime with Liam and Abby until March 24th. Kirsten held her first interview with the media on March 16th. 
On March 24th, Shana finally responded to a request to FaceTime the kids and said she'd like to have a conversation with me first. She refused text or email. She wanted to talk with Kirsten on the phone, which I don't. You know, I think that's fair enough, really. Um, March 25th, the phone conversation with Shana happens. She agrees to allow one FaceTime call per week between Bexley and the twins. The kids had their one FaceTime call for three weeks until she cancelled the call scheduled for April 18 and said there would be no more calls moving forward. I responded and asked if we could at least speak with them on their birthday, which was April 20th, and she agreed. There was a candlelight vigil held for Jared on April 19th. Shana and the twins did not attend, despite it being an open invitation to anyone. On April 20th was the last FaceTime call with the twins. Uh, Kirsten wrote, I have sent numerous texts asking for contact with the twins since then. I either get no response or an excuse as to why it cannot happen. Other family members have reached out as well and they've been ignored. The kids have been completely cut off from their dad's family. So that is kind of where we are at up to date with the Jared case, there is a lot of media attention, but there isn't essentially much happening. So there was kind of an interesting, um, I guess, side note to this that Kirsten didn't include in her timeline, but she has said that a week after Jared was murdered, she apparently caught a suspicious person on camera at her home. The CCTV is up. You can see there's kind of two or three cars in the driveway and then the person is kind of to the left of the screen. You cannot make out if it's male or female. It's very blurry. Um, but I guess she's insinuating that someone was around the property. She said, mm-hmm. I was scared. Jared had just been killed. Someone that near the corner of my house, I didn't feel okay. I called the detectives who said to call the local police and my neighbor who is ex-military helped me scan the yard, but we didn't find anything. And apparently her neighbor's cameras may have had better angles, but they were switched off. So, you know, that's kind of an interesting maybe related to this case. Um, The other thing is that there was some photos of Shana at a park. She's wearing a shirt that says, it's fine, I'm fine, everything is fine. So that was taken in April 2022, so just two months after he was murdered. Something about her reminds me of Lori Schaefer. (laughs) Lori Vallow. No, Lori Schaefer. Michael Schaefer, is that her name? Yes, um... Uh, yeah, Shaver, Shaver. I thought you said Shaver. Yeah. I'm like, yeah, yeah, yeah. I know who you're talking about now. Yeah, just yeah, the Florida, does. the working out, <laughs> getting away look. with it. Yeah. yeah. So, um, Kirsten told Fox News, "The fight doesn't get easier. It gets harder as more time passes without answers. I'm not going to give up. I'm not going to stop fighting for Jared. He deserves justice. The family deserves justice, and the community deserves justice." She also said he was happy, he was thriving at work. He felt like he was being challenged and he loved his team. We had a great circle of friends. Whoever decided to kill Jared knew what kind of person he was. They knew that he was the kind of person who would stop to move a tire out of the street to ensure someone else doesn't get hurt. Someone knows who shot him at close range while our daughter was in the car and we are just asking for answers to find closure. Um, So I did post on our accounts asking if anyone had any questions um one person lars seven said if there was a person at the house can they use cell towers to see if there was any communication in the driveway of their home which is an interesting you would think Mm. maybe but i guess you can't pinpoint every single person in the area and like i think think you need a number maybe they could ping and see if shana or mario was there for example like i know in some cases like like Delphi, like they tried to do like, I think it's called like geo mapping or something with the cell phones, but you need special, um, not like permits, but like special like subpoenas or something to do that. And sometimes they're hard to get. 
and probably depends maybe on like how busy of an area it is too and like if I did it where I live like a billion phones would come up in this area yeah I agree I think that you'd need more to go off than just that like it might work in a place like Delphi because in the bridge area there might not be as many phones but like where I live in a main town there's at least a hundred phones in a small radius. Um, Natalie on our, in our Facebook group said that it seems like there was a lot of pettiness going on between both sides, which I absolutely agree. Um, she's raised things like, why wouldn't Jared let the kids stay with their stepfather? Yes, Mario sounds like a jerk, but still that's the mother's husband. And in saying that, Mario was also never charged with anything. So, you know, I, I do think that's kind of a valid point. Um but Dr. Phil has always said, <laughs> my <laughs> idol, Dr. Phil, that the when kids are abused, I know this is like a general statement, but a lot of times it's because of like unrelated male. Yes. And you know what? And as, as a mother, like I, like even as a parent, I absolutely understand that. But then like, I feel like Shana didn't retaliate and do the same for Kirsten, if that makes sense. Like it's. I don't know. Yeah, like I, yeah. I, I'm sure it's stereotypical and um, sexist, but men are more so seen as a threat to children, which yeah. obviously we've seen many cases where women are also a threat to children. But I think that's just kind of like the more general sexist kind of stereotype that people assume. And these two points that uh, Natalie made are quite interesting too. She said, why did Kirsten insist on being there when Shana told her children of the father's death? That's for their mother to handle. And she said, why wouldn't Kirsten let Shana attend the funeral to support the children? Yes, it would be a slap in the face to have her there when she caused Jared so much misery. But again, that's her children and she should have been allowed there under strict instructions, you know, to not cause a scene, but to support Mm -hmm. them. So I do agree. Like that's the kind of, you know, like don't get me wrong I'm not saying that Shana is in the right but I'm just saying that yeah absolutely the kids should have come first the should kids should have been allowed to attend the funeral even if it came with the caveat that Shana also had to um attend yeah like I get both sides like I get why yeah. they wouldn't want her there especially if they think she could be involved in this somehow yeah but then it's like do you sacrifice that so that the kids can come and feel like their mom's there definitely a hard decision so I just wanted to you know like that they are what the public are asking um you know obviously what happened to Jared was horrible and there's nothing that could have um, made it okay or you know justified we don't know what kind of toxic relationship they have we're just going off what the media articles have said and also there's a lot a lot of articles about this case I've linked them all in the blog so if you want to go and read more definitely go and check it out because we've kind of as we said integrated Kirsten's timeline with what the rest of the media has said so there is a lot out there um and it's it is hard to pull the whole picture together when there's two absolutely two very very different sides to the story yeah so as for theories um obviously I feel like we can't really point the finger at anyone yet because there is no evidence it seems to suggest like it's you know a bit different to the Michael and Laurie Shaver case like you said where he was buried in that fire pit at their home um I feel like the evidence points it to it being someone who knew Jared who knew where he was going to be at a certain time they'd picked the spot to murder him where they knew there would be no CCTV and they you know they knew he would be driving through there at that time which leads it me to believe that it's someone who knew him well yeah Um, I think it's easy to say 
um, that it seems like Shayna could be involved due to their messy divorce and some of the petty stuff that happened and like asking about library books and the death certificate, which I agree is all like kind of shitty on her part. But also it could it could just as much equally be something else. Like there's no real proof that she had anything to do with it. I feel like the likelihood, just based on everything that we've spoken about today, is it was probably someone in the family, you know, whether or not that's Shayna or someone older than her. Like, you know, obviously we don't know. But they have a lot of money. Like, Yep, exactly. So I feel like that is the likely answer. I don't think this was a random killing. Um, Yeah, no way. No. I think it was someone – and also it – I was trying, I'm trying to be fair, but also in my mind, I'm like, "Mm, there's a lot of things. Like, he was, he just dropped off the kids at Shayna's house. So Shayna knew he was coming, probably knew about his route home. And that happened right after he dropped them off. He's driving home from her house. There happens to be this tire in the road and a place that he normally drives when maybe feel more comfortable to get out and move the tire, like you said. So it seems like, as you were saying, it was definitely someone who, knew exactly what was going on that day especially I'm also very hesitant to accuse people and say this person definitely you know must have done it because we essentially don't know and it's very dangerous to do that but I feel like in this case it does point to a certain direction that it will maybe go down if things happen yeah I mean being vague but (laughs) I mean it could just you never know like it, could, it seems like that's the most likely thing, but then you never know. Like, we all assumed that – um, what the fuck is her name? <laughs> Who are you talking about? <laughs> <laughs> I'm really annoyed. I can't think of her name. Um, the little baby from Australia that was kidnapped. Ah, uh, Cleo. Yeah, we all – so many people assume that Cleo, like, her parents did something. Like, people were dead set on that or, like, that something was set up, like, an accident happened – pretty much no one thought that she was randomly abducted by a stranger and that ended up being what happened so honestly you just never know even if something really seems like the answer it might not be and I feel like maybe 99 times out of 100 it probably you know and I'm not talking about this case but you know just say in cases like this 99 times out of 100 it probably is the ex-spouse but there's always that one time where it's not so um or it, you know, could be, it could even be like like you said like a family member maybe she really didn't know yeah and like yeah like we said there's a lot of money in this family so money talks as we know um so yeah 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 <laughs> I'm just trying to be safe <laughs> we're trying to not accuse but also agreeing that agreeing with the obvious yeah and I feel like what we've done in this episode is told the facts that we can find them for both sides um so I guess it's now up to people to kind of make their own um conclusion about to what they think happened yeah and like I said Kirsten she has done a great job like getting on social media like putting Absolutely. the story out there sending his story to us to other crime groups to post about and she was nice enough to literally sit and write up this timeline of something that was really traumatic in her life and still very fresh and yep. she sat down and typed it all out for us and sent it over to us so we could do this episode yeah. So, and you know what? And I know, like, if I was in her shoes, I know there's absolutely two sides to every single story. And I would be telling the same. Like, I would, I feel like she's tried to, when she's the information that she sent us, she was fair and balanced. Um, but it would be a hard situation to remain that way when there's, you know, a lot of conflict going on. Yeah. 
Mm. So thank you to Kirsten for that. Yeah, and absolutely. Um, we repost their Instagram a lot, but it's justice for Jared B. We'll keep posting them, but definitely follow over there if you're if you want to keep following the story. So I mean that's really it for Jared's story so far. Um just keep following us. We'll keep posting updates and like I said, check out um the Justice for Jared B Instagram page for even more updates. And check out the blog and make sure you read all the articles. Um because literally all we have done is kind of pick all the information from all the articles. So there's tons of content out there if you want to have a look. Yeah. Um, so we're actually, they're not anything big, but we do have two more little things to talk about briefly. Just some little updates at the start, some updates at the end. <laughs> Mix it up. Um, did want to mention that Harmony Montgomery, we did an episode on her with Oakley Carlson um, a few months ago. Maybe many months ago but she was missing for like over a year like a year and a half before actually being reported missing cut some shady kind of parents in her life but if you if you don't know what I'm talking about go listen to the episode but anyways she um today they finally announced that she was murdered they believe sometime in December 2019 and that her case is now officially a homicide investigation they still haven't found her remains but they said that they did find biological evidence that has led them to believe that she was murdered i feel like a lot of the evidence might be in the fridge if i'm not mistaken uh, yeah, they took fridge. the fridge and stuff yeah yeah so that's horrible so yeah i know i was really vague with that but i feel like most people probably who have followed us know what story i'm talking about the episode is from january 2022 if you're looking for it yeah, and, and if you ever can't find an episode, just send us a message. Like someone messaged us yesterday and asked us for the boy in the box link, so I sent them that. So just yeah, send us a message and we'll find a link for you. Mm-hmm. Um, the second or final update, I guess, <clears throat> for the end is that we have been following the case of a missing teenager, Kylie Rodney. Um, she has been missing, I believe, since August sixth, so it's now August eleven. Her time. She went missing on early Saturday morning from a party in, I think it's Truckee, which is in Northern California. She'd been at a party. They first said there was a hundred people at the party. Now it's up to over three hundred people at the party. She was apparently quite inebriated or intoxicated at the time. Um, her car is also missing. So it's a very strange case. I thought it would probably be resolved quite quickly and maybe they would have found her in a wreck or she had driven her car into the water because there's a lot of water around their water and woods but we're you know coming up to nearly a week now and she's still missing so if this the car's still missing and there's weird things going on like I don't want to get too far ahead of myself but I saw a post from her boyfriend or her ex-boyfriend asking people to send tips to him so he could filter them through to the sheriff but then the sheriff has made a statement saying absolutely not send them send them directly <laughs> to me so I don't know it's a, it's a, it's an unusual case because I think there's a lot of teens who were maybe doing the wrong thing at the party drugs drinking and so are a lot scared of people don't want to talk yeah. yeah so they're scared to come forward um which, you know, is understandable, I guess. So there's a lot of strange things going on. So if this case doesn't have a resolution in the next few days, we might look into doing that one next. And it's also weird because, and a lot of people have messaged about this too, and we've also kind of questioned it to ourselves, that they're saying that they're investigating it as an abduction because they can't find her car, which kind of seems like a weird thing. I'm assuming they have more information to be saying that they're investigating as an abduction that they just don't want to say because... Like you said, what if she just crashed her car and they haven't found her yet? And the other thing that makes me think maybe they believe there is something going on is that the FBI are very involved. They've released a missing person poster. 
And I feel like they generally don't do that. I could be wrong, but I feel like they generally don't do that for someone who they believe has been in a car wreck. I feel no, like that they haven't been abducted. How many missing persons cases have we done where the fam the family like had to beg the police to like yeah. do actually like put the flyer out there or get involved? And so like she's been missing now for, you know, five or six days. So it's a very quick involvement from the FBI. Um anyway, so we'll just have to wait and more. see. Yeah. I figure so. Her phone's dead. Her phone's been, you know, which would, and that's why I also thought maybe she'd wrecked or was in the water because it made sense that her phone would be dead if that was the case. But I don't know. Anyway, it's a very strange case. I have started a blog, so check it out. Um, But if it's still going yet, we might do an episode next week. Yeah. So, and we'll keep posting about it on our Instagram too. So follow us if you don't. Like, you all better follow us by now. How many times (laughs) do I have to say it? (laughs) Um. I feel like a broken record every time, but like I have to remind everyone. <laughs> so back to the rest of the broken record things that I say. Um, check out the blog on this case. We'll have all the pictures and sources and interviews and everything up on there. Um, follow us on Instagram, True Crime Society, and our personal accounts. Mine's Steph Sum underscore Olivia's TCS Olivia. Um, follow us there post a lot of good stuff um, <laughs> quality content <laughs> yeah I try I'm always like I need to start being like a real influencer and like talking to the camera about my day and I'm like I can't do it I just feel like such a douchebag <laughs> it's like when we um get on to record and it automatically pops up with my webcam and every time I'm like, God, I'm I'm so like oh no <laughs> <laughs> absolutely not <laughs> yeah maybe one day I'll feel confident um <laughs> what else oh yeah share the podcast with everyone you know we want to get more listeners we got finally our our million listens we gotta make it two million now so help us do that help us get there yeah five million by next year (laughs) um if you want us to just do even bigger and better things just keep sharing it because then maybe i don't have to work at my other job which takes up so much of my time um but yeah, that'd be great if you want to help someone live their dreams. Also, if you haven't, rate, review, all that. Subscribe. Subscribing's big help to us. Check out our sponsors. All that good stuff. If you haven't done it, please do. And I think that's it. That's it. All right. Thank you guys for listening. We'll talk to you guys next week. Peace out. See ya. See ya.